Cash, camera, action. Welcome, everyone. This is the Cash Camera Action Podcast, and I got a very special guest with me today. I got Dr. Gregory Jackson. He is a neuropsychologist. Correct, correct. Gregory, can you just go ahead and tell the audience what you do? Because I'm not... I'm not trained to tell everyone what you do. No worries, no worries. Not like it's an easy explanation. Anyway, <laughs> but, so I'm, you know, I'm clinically trained as a psychologist. When we get our doctorate, that's what we get it in, is in clinical psychology. So my background is learning therapy and theories and understanding people from a mental health perspective. But what I do on a day-to-day basis is a little bit different. Um, as a neuropsychologist, I'm responsible for cognitive assessments. So that basically means I look at people's functioning from memory, language, um, attention, visual spatial abilities and all that and how it how it's going to affect their ability to function after a stroke or after a brain injury how it's going to affect their ability to go back to work or just do everyday things um, so it's a little different than regular psychology and that therapy is not my everyday thing although in times of covid it's a little bit of a different story awesome see there's no way i could have ever explained anyone <laughs> what you do to our audience i have a custom here on the cast camera action podcast so in order to break the ice, I need you to pick a number from one to three thousand. One to three thousand. Well, we're gonna go with the fraternity year, so that's gonna be nineteen fourteen. Nineteen fourteen. So basically, this book has a whole bunch of things in here, and I need you to pick one or the other and give me a reason why. Okay. Here we go. Nineteen fourteen. The question is: one pound of quarters or two pounds of dimes. One pound of quarters or two pounds of dimes? Well, in general, quarters would be more than double the value of a dime, so I probably would go with the pound of quarters. Yeah. As a math person, <laughs> that is exactly correct, because if you have quarters is 25, correct. dimes are 10, mm-hmm. right? 25 to 10. Mm-hmm. So if you have one pound of quarters, mm-hmm. you would have basically a quarter, five, four, yeah, a, a 25% more mm-hmm. than the two pounds of dimes. If the weight is exactly double, exactly but same, it should right. be significantly yeah, it should, more. It should, it should yeah. be. I hope I'm correct, because then if people watch this, like, <laughs> Somebody's you... got the fact checker. So someone's a fact check me on that one. It's funny, because all of the other questions mm-hmm. on here were mm-hmm. not mathematically based. So that's the first time I've seen a mathematical question yeah. in this in this book, which is which is freaking awesome. <laughs> All right, guys, so that's it um, for today. I know that in your line of work, specifically, you want to talk about, or you're actually addressing a lot of the mental, um, the mental illness space amongst minorities, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And right now, it's my understanding that minorities are facing a large barrier when it comes to addressing their mental health. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me specifically today, what, what are some of these barriers for them? Sure. Well, there's a couple of different things when we talk about uh, barriers or barriers to access. Um, first of all is whether or not you have insurance. 
you know, mental health is one of those things where people either are going to have to pay out of pocket for or have to hope that their insurance is going to cover. And so for those of you who are working and don't get insurance coverage, you know that you're going to have to pay for every hour of service. Those services aren't free and they can add up pretty quickly. So financial barriers and uh, uh, insurance barriers are probably the biggest ones. But some of the other things are more when we talk about from a stigma perspective within our different communities, whether it be Filipino community, whether it be African-American community or Latino community, there are different stereotypes about receiving mental health services. So a lot of people don't want to put themselves in a position where they seem weak. Right. So that's a barrier. Um, and then I think another thing is a provider a lack of minority providers. So when we talk about somebody who looks like me wanting to go to therapy, are they gonna be able to find somebody who looks like them? Um, and that likelihood is low. Just psychology in general as a field is primarily white dominated. All the theories are made by white men. And so the likelihood that you're gonna find somebody to be able to connect to is pretty slim. So I would say those are probably the main barriers. So those are the top three barriers. Mm -hmm. Great. And let's, let, let's hit on each one of those. So sure. let's pick with the first one, one financial or even access or yeah. even health insurance. And even I feel like um, for my employees and for a lot of other companies that I've helped manage, many of them don't even know that their health insurance covers mm -hmm. mental health mm -hmm. or being able to address those things or talk to someone or get, get therapy. Right. So I feel like just the outreach or the communication and letting everyone know that this is available for you, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you know part of the problem is that people don't know what questions to ask of their employer. When you do your benefits package, you kind of just generally blanket sign up for it, mm -hmm. right? You're like, all right, well, I know I need to cover my basic dental, my basic medical. If something goes wrong, I can go to the doctor. But you know, especially if you have Kaiser insurance, the system is just so wide. In one building, you might have access to all those things, plus mental health and other aspects too. And so part of it, I think, is just really going through what your benefits package is, that little booklet that they give you. Mm -hmm. They give it to you for a reason. But we as people are so uh, inclined to sign things without reading it that they just don't know. Um, and so even asking the questions of your HR or during a job interview, hey, do you offer mental health benefits? Is it, is it possible for me to take mental health days? Um, if I were to have a depressive episode, am I covered for therapy? And those are the questions that I think that people should be asking employers when it comes to like, uh, when they say, do you have any questions for me? Right. And, and people don't ever think about mental health in, that, in those questions. Yes. So I work in the HR department all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I onboard people in mm -hmm. the finance, in the finance department. I always ask them, do you, ever, do you have any more questions for me? Mm -hmm. The very first thing they're going to ask is like, do you match your 401k? Uh, you know, uh, how much things. do I have to pay out of pocket for my, my premiums? Mm -hmm. But they'll never, you know, I'll give them the whole Kaiser package mm -hmm. with everything listed down. So how much they pay, what's covered, if it covers, you know, wellness benefits and all these yeah. other things. Yeah. But they'll never ask about mental health. Most people don't. They don't think about it. And it's not on it's not on the forefront. You know, when you talk about uh, health, you usually look at things that you can see or feel stuff that's tangible. So it's a lot harder to know when you've been damaged from a mental health perspective versus it's very clear if my arm is hurting, mm -hmm. very clear if I have a stomach ache or my leg is messed up. Those are obvious reasons to go to the doctor. But what you don't see or don't think about is the stuff that goes on in here is what they call the invisible injury. So that's actually what, how they refer to uh, brain injuries. So we just people just don't even think about it. So if it's not in your forefront, it's not going to be a question that you're going to ask. You're going to more so go for the obvious, tangible things that you can see. Yeah. Right. See, I love that. The invisible injury. Absolutely. And we all need our brain to function. 
mentally and all of that stuff. So we need to start addressing this readily. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I believe that also employers need to address too, because mm -hmm. without, if our employees aren't functioning at a, at their highest potential, right. you know, we need to address that immediately. Sure. And I'm glad that even we're taking these baby steps, right, mm -hmm. to address wellness and mental state in in our community, but we're not I feel like we're still not doing enough. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things that's now being talked about because celebrities are talking about mm. it. So when you think about, um, I think when Dwayne Wade retired, one of the things that he said was the first thing I'm going to do is go to therapy because now I have to learn how to adjust to a new role. I'm no longer a basketball player. And so the fact that it's becoming part of normal pop culture conversations, I think you're starting to see an increase in people realizing it. There's also been a lot of push now with Instagram for wellness. So when you talk about social media, you see a lot of wellness accounts popping up, them giving these memes that have advice. And so it's starting to become more commonplace. But the actual process of therapy is different. It's different to get information versus can I go get a service that's specific to me, tailored to me, to figure out what I need to do versus what things are helpful in general. Right, right. And for example, going back to your Dwayne Wade example, one of the biggest barriers is addressing your vulnerability mm -hmm. and that stigma where, hey, I need to go talk to someone about yeah. my issues. Oh, yeah. wow, why do you need to talk to someone? Like mm -hmm. it's, it's, even in a community we're not, it looks down upon, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for example, one of, the, one of the greatest strengths anyone can have is being able to accept your vulnerabilities, talk about it mm -hmm. and make changes from that. You know, for example, facing your weakness or facing adversity, you know, accepting, some of your weaknesses or changing, you know, um, like in business, mm -hmm. understanding that you're, you're losing and you need to make some changes in, right. in the business plan. Correct. That's accepting a vulnerability, but we do that all the time in the mm -hmm. business, but we don't do that in our own personal state. It's tangible in business. I know when my account's in the red. Right, exactly. I'm very well aware if I can't go swipe my card and buy something, okay, I might need to make some changes in my spending habits. Yeah. But with mental health, that's a lot more difficult to see. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, one, to, to your point, what people think of is everybody else is able to manage life. Everybody else is not struggling. So why is it just me? But they don't realize that that's not even a true statement. So many people are dealing with mental health difficulties on a regular basis and they just think that they're the only one. So they feel like something is wrong with them and it would be a sign of weakness to admit that versus everybody struggles. On a daily basis, your emotions roller coaster, all of us. Right. It's just how extreme does it get? If it gets to the point where there might be four or five days in a row that you're not getting out the bed, that might be a kind of sign that something's not right. But instead, people just feel like me having to go and tell somebody that is wrong. I feel like they're going to judge me. And that's not what therapy is. Therapy is not judgment, judgment on how well you can manage life. Therapy is where are you? I'm going to meet you there and help bring you where you want to be. So that I feel like is the piece that people are missing. They don't understand uh, what, even what therapy is and what's offered there. So, Yeah, I mean, I, no one really goes to therapy. It's not, yeah. it's not something people do on a normal everyday basis. Minorities don't, but non-minorities do. It's... But the other thing is that I'm thinking about, let's talk about therapy for a second. Yeah. Because every Saturday, I go see my barber <laughs> and I talk to my barber and I confide in him. Mm -hmm. And I recently had a um, beautician on my podcast and she was also telling me how her job was also, while she makes people look beautiful, mm -hmm. she part of her job is to also help them um, release whatever, yeah. you know, 
problems they may have and just have someone to talk to. Mm -hmm. But obviously they're not trained to help advise them Correct. into a certain path. Mm -hmm. But I, but every day we talk to people yeah. and they're acting as our kind of like pseudo therapist in a sense, everybody. they're our friends. Mm -hmm. But what the step we're missing is taking it to one step further in addressing the Correct. issues. What's the, it's the discomfort. So and let me, and let me actually bring up uh, or address a point that you just made. So when you're at the barbershop talking to your barber, what makes it less awkward is that something is happening. It's mm. not just a face-to-face -face yeah. conversation, especially with men. We always bond over activity. Correct. So if you think about that, we play cards, we play basketball, we play video games, we learn camera information, and that's yes. how we kind of vibe. But when you're talking about a therapy session, now I'm face to face, all my vulnerability is out there. It, it, having an activity uh, creates a barrier. So when you're doing therapy with like teenage boys, they always recommend that you do an activity. So child therapy a lot of time has to do with playing games. Well, if you think about it, you know, in real life we can't do that. And when we, when we come to therapy, we kind of want to remove all those distractions to get you used to the process of being vulnerable. I want you to understand that you sharing something that's maybe painful is cathartic in a way because it helps you get it out. You don't have to worry about like holding that in anymore. In the barbershop, you may not go in depth yes, to, correct, the, to right. quite the same yes, level, but yes, it's yes. just it takes that awkwardness away. And I think if people can get past that awkwardness piece, they'll be a little bit more uh, amenable to actually going to therapy. So. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. I, I love that. I love yeah. the fact that you address that because there's an activity involved. We're just, you know, forget yeah, when there's an activity involved, we we ourselves are breaking down our own barriers. Exactly. So it allows us to speak our mind on a certain topic. Exactly. For example, when I'm at the gym, mm -hmm. I, we need to talk about something mm -hmm. and eventually things are just going to come out naturally, just naturally. Yeah, yeah. But then when you're in a therapy session, you are addressing it head on. Right. You're, you're confronting, you're coming in knowing that the purpose of this conversation is specifically to talk about something vulnerable versus at the barbershop, you might walk in and go, Hey, did you see the game? And that's right. your kind of ice breaking piece. Well, what people don't realize is a good therapist can do the same thing too. If you walk into the therapy room, you shouldn't feel like, oh my goodness, I'm on display, the spotlights are on me like they are in this setup. That's not really how it is. It's supposed to be a welcoming and warm environment and a safe space. People know that in the barbershop, that's kind of what it is. Right. Guys talk in the barbershop. What's said in the barbershop stays in the barbershop. Mm -hmm. Therapy is the same way and that's actually by law, so. Ah, I did not know that. Yeah. So then let's go to barrier number three, look alike. Uh -huh. or, or, you know, just being able to understand the same cultural plane. If, for example, I understand a lot about the Asian cultures, but I might not understand a lot about the black culture oh, or right. the Latino cultures and right. everything. And just having that similarities mm -hmm. helps bridge those gaps. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you think about it, if we talk about who's educated in society greater, we talk about mostly white people tend to pursue higher education, but minorities don't always make it there. There's a lot of barriers to that. If you're not graduating from high school at the same rate, what's the likelihood that you're going to college? If you don't graduate college at the same rate, what's the likelihood that you go to grad school? So likelihood that somebody makes it all the way through to be a professional, there's so many more barriers for us. So the, the field gets narrower and narrower and narrower, and now you're talking in the doctorate level, there's 1% of people in the entire country that have that, and then look at in that percentage, mm. how what percentage of them are minorities. It's even smaller. So it just keeps getting less likely that you're gonna see somebody that looks like you as you seek higher levels of care. Right, and I'll take that one step further. Even 
So we're talking about small percentage become doctors, mm -hmm. right? And and the fact that you know if you're a minority, you're even smaller percentage. Mm -hmm. But even that, a minority becoming a doctor mm -hmm. in the mental industry, yes. right? Specifically within specifically that. within mm -hmm. that. So mm -hmm. we're talking like percentages after percentages after right. percentages, right? So the odds that you'll be able to speak with someone mm -hmm. that's similar in you in the minority space right, correct. is extremely limited and low. Very limited, yep. And I mean, and, and even then, like now you have to hope that that provider has an opening too. So mm -hmm. not even, okay, is there one? Are they male? Are they female? Do they match me from a cultural perspective? But then are they available or do I have to wait six months to be able to see them? Because everybody in the system that wants to see that, that culture has to wait. So, it, you know, it just becomes barrier on barrier on barrier. And it's really hard for people to get through and they get frustrated with not being able to get the service they need at the time that they need it. By the time they can get to somebody, the crisis might be over. Uh, it's, it's a really sad thing. It really is. So I got a question. Based on your experience right now and, how, and, and your time in the industry, has there been an improvement in this area yeah I think so I think that recently you know with the advent of other degrees that can provide therapy you do see a little bit more growth you don't have to go to a doctor for therapy be very clear about that it's just different levels of training there are master's level clinicians that do an excellent job and there's no real true difference in the training um, it's just the amount of years that we get for gaining hours and maybe the level of depth in ter terms of theoretical building so yeah maybe we might be better at diagnosing things but in terms of the strategy and the interventions, it doesn't matter whether it's me, whether it's a, a master's level provider, they both can do that. And so people going to school for shorter, um, which is another barrier, the length of time that you gotta be in right, school. Right, right, right. So people going to school shorter and being able to provide therapy has helped that. So you see a lot of master's level clinicians that are uh, minorities, but it's mostly women. And I think that's something that's really important to point out too. In terms of males, we don't go into this type of profession because it requires a nurturing sense. And since it's female dominated, the pay is significantly lower than it would be for a male dominated profession. So people think about the cost, you know, how what I'm going to make salary wise. Am I going to go into this thing, take on all this debt for school to come out and not make as much as I could in a different field? Right. I mean, so from a business perspective, I did this. I went in and I looked at all the majors that, mm -hmm. I, that I could qualify for that mm -hmm. I see myself in. Yeah. I also factored in how much I'm going to spend in school, mm -hmm. how many hours that that profession, you know, you would be required right. and what the salary is. And, and as as males and men's, we, we're very logically based. So we're gonna do the calculations and do mm -hmm. the math and we see it, okay, mm -hmm. well, uh, you know, if I take this one, I'll, I should net out, you know, on average, $5 an hour more over my lifetime or exactly. something. So I'm gonna pick that route. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So that's, I never even thought about that. How are you feeling in this role? Mm -hmm. knowing that it's female dominated. Well, neuropsych is a little bit different in that neuropsych specifically is considered to be a higher level of psychology. Oh, so there man. tends to be more men. But when we talk about actual therapy, which is what we're discussing here, that tends to be more female dominated again because of the nurturing aspect. So it's a little bit strange to kind of sit down in front of another man and ask them to be vulnerable. I think that because if the shoe was on the other foot, I not working in this profession would have the same reservations. Mm. I would walk into a room and be like, why is this guy talking to me and asking me about like my, my relationship with my mom or my dad? Or why is he asking me, you know, am I crying or do I have some type of outlet for my emotions? Like it, it's, it's a kind of weird thing. I'm gonna confirm, I mean, if we were having a therapy session right now, mm -hmm. I would probably feel 
a lot more comfortable talking to a female than mm -hmm. a male. Mm -hmm. That's just how I feel. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I feel that way, but that's just coming into it. I might ask, you know what, is it okay if I pick the, the gender of who I want to talk to? Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Well, I think that in, in general, men don't, men are not conditioned or socialized to have the same types of conversations with each other. You know, we always joke about this among my friends, but if you go out, let's say with, with your girl, you go out and she's talking to, uh, she meets a, a, a guy, a girl and her guy for the first time, their conversation and the guy's conversation is going to be completely different. Correct. We're going to be like, yo man, what's up, man? So uh, what do you do? What do you, okay. It's going to be very surface level. Yes. They'll come out knowing everything about that person, where they're from, where they grew up, you know, what their goals and aspirations are. We like, just simply like, don't hey, do that. How did you go to that date or whatever? Yeah. For, and how did you find out everything about their life? <laughs> All I know is that his favorite team is the exactly. Niners. Exactly. And and that he likes to drink beer. Yep. And he plays Call of Duty at night. Exactly. That's that's that's, that's what it. That's all. That's all we got. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it's really, but that, and that's why because we're used to being more vulnerable with our women, with our moms than our dads. Mm -hmm. When you talk about having a problem, dad is going to be the logical problem solver. Mom's going to be the processor. You're going to go to her for you know I was really hurt by this thing this girl said to me. You're not going to necessarily say that to your dad because no you're way. afraid of the judgment he's going to exactly. have. Exactly. That's the cultural piece, and so understanding that that's why it's important to have somebody who's who's who gets it who gets like how you might've been brought up and how that might affect your ability to be vulnerable in session. Cause if it happens in session, it's happening in real life too. So we want to make sure that we you know, are comfortable with that or put you in a position where you're comfortable with your therapist. Mm, I love it. I love it. Um, I want to, that, that was perfect. I, I, <laughs> that was amazing. I want to, I want to segue into the business aspect of, of this. And right now we're filming a, uh, we're, we're in a pandemic, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. And people are getting laid we're, off. We're six feet apart too. We are six way. feet I'm apart, just, by the way. Yeah. We can measure this. <laughs> we are in a, we're in a pandemic. People got laid off. Mm -hmm. People were furloughed. Mm -hmm. People are working from home. Mm -hmm. They're sheltered in place all across America. Mm -hmm. I, I am searching right now that the mental instability mm -hmm. of America is probably at the highest it's ever been. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the reason why I've been doing therapy is because even I'm the person that has to work from home. Uh, my normal job would be face to face where I'm sitting across from somebody doing testing. And obviously when the pandemic first started, there was a lot of risk associated with that. But most of the things that I hear people bringing up now are they're not used to being socially isolated. Right. So they don't have access to their normal outlets. You can't go to the gym. You can't go socialize at a mm -hmm. bar or at a restaurant. You can't even have a, a large group of people over. And especially if you're an extroverted individual that feeds off that kind of that social aspect. When that gets missing, now all of a sudden all your mental health stuff starts coming to the surface because you have more time to sit and think about it. So you're going, man, like I'm just realizing I'm, I'm more stressed than I thought or mm -hmm. man, like. I, I don't have anything to do. I'm, I'm feeling like trapped right now. And I think that that's, it's highlighting all the mental health stuff that's always been underlying, but you've had distractions from it by, by having access to outlets. Another thing is that I've seen is the opposite spectrum where people are loving working from home. Yeah. That's a different, a completely different route where it's, it's so funny that we're in like two different spectrums where mm -hmm. there's a one, people hate being sheltered in place and being forced home. Yep. But the other ones are like, hey, I love being at home. I get to spend more time with my kids, spend exactly. more time with my family. Exactly. I don't have to face commuting anymore. And I think there's a study where um, pre-COVID, I think it was like 3% of employers 
um, ever worked from home. Mm -hmm. And then now they're, they're thinking that by 2021 or 2022, it might creep up to more about like 20 or 15 yeah. or 20% yeah. of, of businesses might allow their employees to work from home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think businesses are even starting to realize why do we make people come in? Mm -hmm. Like why do I have to pay for this office space for you to come in and do something at a desk that you could have at home? One, it does eliminate some distractions. So from a productivity standpoint, there was a belief that it would increase that. Um, but when what you're talking about though is the people who love working from home are starting to realize how horrible it is to have to drive that far. Mm -hmm. How awful it is to be away from the important people in their lives. And so the priorities are getting shifted and they're going, man, like I didn't even realize this was something that I needed. I didn't even realize that I needed a break and not have not be micromanaged and have somebody over my shoulder and watching me all day at work. And they really benefit from kind of that space to be alone and within them with themselves where you never take me time any other time. If you're going into an office all the time, it's way less likely that you're going to take days off or time off. But when you're home, you can pace yourself with work. You won't feel the desire to necessarily be burnt out. So the day kind of just is less stressful instead of being high stress. And actually interesting fact is a lot of heart attacks happen on Mondays. The reason for that is people are free on the weekend, relaxed, but their work environment is so high stress that simply the thought of having to go can raise blood pressure and end up causing them to have a heart attack. Wow. Yeah, a, lot, a lot of research that shows that. And so now you're taking that away because people don't have to go to work. Work is home. So when I wake up, I just can go into this room and I don't have that same dread of, oh, that, that person I don't like is gonna be there or my boss is gonna get on my nerves about this thing today. So, wow. Yeah. That is super interesting. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't even think about the stresses that it's like um, it's such a big black and white from mm -hmm. going relaxed on the weekend, being yep. with your friends and family, then then knowing that you have to face your demons mm -hmm. come Monday, mm -hmm. that it raises your blood pressure and puts you in a, in a mental state that you don't mm -hmm. want to be in. I think I think also what you're seeing is that people some people have the ability to impose their own structure and some people don't. So the people who are thriving at this work from home are the people that are good at doing that. And a lot of people are not. And that's another thing that people have been coming to therapy for. So I have all this free time and I have no idea how to be productive when I'm in control of my own schedule. So they don't know how to actually sit down and say, I'm going to work for two hours, take a couple minute break, then go back to it. They don't know how to pace it. So just having the free time makes them less likely to hit a deadline because they'll procrastinate more mm. when they're in the office. You kind of have to get it done because somebody's well, watching you. When we think about it, uh, American-based businesses have traditionally been tasks-based, mm -hmm. right? I need you to do this mm -hmm. for this amount of time, mm -hmm. then do this, then do this, then do this, right? Mm -hmm. But then now when you have your own kind of free time, yep. you've also freed up like probably a two to three hours of your day just by not driving into exactly. work. So you're, be you're being way more productive. Look, now you freed up three times five, mm -hmm. 15 hours mm -hmm. a week. Mm -hmm. You know, you're the like, wait, I have all this free time now. And then, and you might sandbag and not produce exactly. or, and start procrastinating. Exactly, right? that's what tends to happen. And so people actually need help with structuring their day. You'd be surprised how many people just wanna know, how, am, how can I be productive at home? How do I make that happen? And it's, you would think that that's a simple thing, but it's not, we're not taught how to do that. From the time we start school until the time we retire, the structure is put in place by whatever system we're in. Mm -hmm. So whether that's middle school, elementary school, high school, your day is this time is when it starts, this time is when it ends, and during this hour, I'm in this location. You don't have that when you work from home. And so people don't know how to 
structure and be disciplined. So there's, there's a lot of difficulty with that right now. And I, so I want to talk about, you know, kind of structures and, and these things, but let's, I saw one of your videos and you were talking about um, controlling your emotions, mm. right? And, and that the point about your emotions is not to suppress them, mm-hmm. right? But to make them, I think you said tolerable mm-hmm. in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. So the goal is not to erase emotions, but embrace emotions was some something a quote somewhere along those lines. And so I think that what people believe is that the goal of uh, depression, for example, is to never, ever be sad again. Or the goal of anxiety is to never, ever be no- nervous or experience stress. That's not what depression and anxiety are. They're extreme versions of a regular emotion that everybody feels. So the goal is to not have the emotion take over your life. The goal is to not be so sad that you can't function, but to be okay with being sad for a few minutes in the day because that's normal. We have these natural up and downs. And I think that that's something that people just have a false expectation of because they think that not being depressed is being happy. That's not actually the case. They're not the same thing. Different skill set to do that. There's a difference between not being or the opposite of depressed is not depressed. It's not happy. Happy is a, a different set of skills that you need to work on separately. Um, but people just have this false expectation that we're going to take it away. You're going to come to therapy and never, ever experience that emotion again. That would be a lie. Mm. You, you would go through life as a, you don't want to go through life as a numb person that feels nothing. That's what people who use substances do. They try to dull out emotions so that it doesn't feel so strong and extreme. We don't want to do that to you. I want you to be able to embrace the fact that I'm sad right now, understanding that this is temporary and it's going to pass. I'm stressed right now. But you know what? I'm not going to let this worry get so big that I avoid the task that is making me nervous. That's the goal of therapy. So, for example, in the workplace, oftentimes employees don't have the strength or the courage to say what they feel mm-hmm. to their employers. Mm-hmm. To say, like, to, to create change or enact change. And mm-hmm. they have it bottled up inside. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this many times yep. in the HR department where it's <laughs> like, oh, my God, all you do is do X, Y, Z. Or the people are yelling or they're fighting mm-hmm. or screaming. And, but it was because... If they would have addressed it kind of in a pace mm-hmm. as it went on, right. it might have not boiled to the part where people are screaming and shouting and people Correct. are getting fired or something to that degree. Same concept with any emotion. If you keep bottling it up, bottling it up, bottling it up, it gets so big that you can't contain it anymore versus if you were letting it out on a regular basis and managing it a little bit more effectively, it'll never get to that point where it just seems like I'm going to explode. Um, you know What you're talking about is boundary setting, which people just in general aren't good at. We aren't good at setting boundaries with our relatives. We aren't good at setting boundaries with our partners. We're not good at doing that with our employers. And so it's a practice when you come to therapy, that might be something you want to learn how to do, is to be able to say in a very effective way, hey, this is something that I need right now, including mental health days from work, which people don't take. You know, the goal from from an employer perspective is if I need as much productivity out of you as possible. So people feel like they can't ask for that space or, hey, I got too much on my plate right now because they believe that that's going to make them seem incapable of managing stuff. You see how it's a similar thing. Mm -hmm. If I go to therapy and talk about my emotion, it's going to make me seem that I'm incapable of managing emotion. So all we have is just this like fear of saying what's really happening for us. Therapy helps normalize that and then you'll be able to translate what you learn in the therapy room to the rest of your life and be able to say it to your partners, to your employers, to your friends and family, etc. Totally agree because I read this interesting stat that 
Uh, workers with depression reported a loss of 27 work days mm -hmm. per year. So as an employer, if I see anyone with a shift in mentality or mm -hmm. attitude, mm -hmm. I may want to talk to them about mental health and wellness because mm -hmm. I know that I'm getting a very less productive worker now. Absolutely. And if, if my main goal is to maintain stress-free, high productivity environment, mm -hmm. then things need to change in that regard. So mm -hmm. for all my entrepreneurs, all my you know, audience that run businesses, mm -hmm. if people are stressed out, and if people have a shift mentality, you need to be you need to be a leader and manage them right then and there, so that way they can become a high productivity, mm -hmm. high output person um, in the in the future or even sooner than that. Most workers are going to emulate what their bosses or managers mm -hmm. do. If they see you with the workaholic mentality, where you never take days off or time off, you don't model self care for them. Then they are not, in turn, not going to have good self care. But if you're a person that's actually into, and uh, there's actually an entire field of psychology dedicated to what you're talking about, which is industrial organizational psychology, which is another thing that people go into corporations and talk to them about the importance of managing that self care and how to set up the environment so for your employees to be happy and get the most out of them. And part of that is to recognize when they need self care. So as a good leader, saying, "Hey, I'm noticing that you're stressed. If you need to take the time off, take the time off to get that together." Because because if you don't, this is going to actually affect your productivity when mm -hmm. you're here. It's the same thing that we don't do at home. We don't take time to really like cultivate our interests and like find outlets and things of that nature, creative outlets like what you're doing here. If you don't do that, you're just going to be working all day and you don't want your tombstone to say, I went to work every day, worked hard, then I died. That's not what you want life to be about. You want life to be about, I had good balance. I found something that made me happy. I was productive in some way, both from a work perspective, but also in like a bigger, greater perspective. I did something that meant something. And so when we encourage people to do that, they tend to lead much more happy lives and they tend to be better employees because they don't get burnt out. Yeah. Um, I was also reading just because right now in America, we lack work-life balance mm. we, we we don't we don't we are experiencing burnout we're not good at managing our time we 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 go to our nine to five mm -hmm. come back home mm -hmm. go to sleep eat go back to our nine to yeah. five like what you're saying we're not finding that balance and be having a greater purpose other than work right now mm -hmm. i mean that's part of the reason why i do mindfully black in general why that even exists is because it's one of my ways to have an outlet it's a way that I can kind of contribute to the greater good and that makes me feel better. So even though I do psychology stuff and I help people on a daily basis, this that's different. It's what I'm choosing to do for my own benefit as well as the benefit of other people. It helps me feel good to say that I can provide people with information. So, I, you know, I think that everybody can really use a better balance because we just put all our focus into the wrong things. What is it going to look like if I take care of myself? Is that me being selfish? No, that's you having good self-care. Um, I just did a recent uh, uh, video shoot for somebody and part of that video shoot was talking about the, the spectrum of uh, selfishness and self-care and, and selflessness and how people struggle with understanding the differences between those things. If we really just kind of normalize doing self-care, we wouldn't feel like we're being selfish by doing things that are good for us, including finding healthy outlets. So let's talk about your healthy outlets. Yeah. It's my understanding that you also have your own kind of outlet. You just talked about shooting videos mm -hmm. and 
-hmm. for us. We, we think of ourselves as machines, yeah. for, right? And we always get so surprised. We're like, wait a minute. You do X, Y, and Z activity on the side. You're right. not just a doctor. I can't right. believe you actually do things other than just be a doctor. <laughs> right. Right. Well, that's because work becomes our our identity for a lot of people. Like I am a this thing. Mm -hmm. So that's what I do for work. That's how I pay my bills. But it's not my full identity. So for me, I think it's important to have a creative outlet because that gives me somewhere else to put some of that stressful energy. So I can go to work listen to other people's problems, hold that space for them, but then I need something to hold space for me too. So that gives me an option to exercise some self-care. So video, it used to be music, you know, that was a, that's a conversation for another day, but video and photo became that outlet for me. So doing something creative, creating a project or helping somebody else bring a vision together, that's just a good way to balance my self-care. It just makes it so that my life is not so monotonous. I don't want to be known as just a neuropsychologist. I don't want that to be my identity. That's just my job title. It doesn't, it's not who I am. It's what I do. And I have to, you have to separate those things. And going back to that, like the identity structure, I, I see that all the time, even with me. Mm -hmm. So for example, if I introduce myself as a finance professional, mm -hmm. people look at it in a different way. Yeah. And then when I look when I when I introduce myself at the creative filmmaker, mm -hmm. I get looked at as a different way. Absolutely. But talk to someone in the creative industry mm -hmm. and I talk and I say, "Oh, I'm in the finance industry." Mm -hmm. They'll write me off and if I start talking about cameras and stuff like how do you, why would do I even know this? Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's that stigma. Exactly. Cuz cuz people get so caught up in you, you you need to develop one thing. Like one thing and stick with it. Those are those are the messages that actually we received, you know, growing up. Find something that you're, you know, good at doing or something that's gonna make you money, and that's the thing you focus on. Your identity becomes what you do, and people uh, give a level of respect to you depending on how they view what it is that you right. do. Right. Which is why I try not to even say that I'm a doctor when I very first meet people, because I don't want them to judge me based on that. I want you to formulate your own opinion of me as a person mm -hmm. first before you start going, oh, well, he's a doctor, so I, I need to give him more respect. Or, oh, he just does video, so I should give him less respect. No, it's not. That, that's not how things should work. But unfortunately, that's just how we're kind of socialized. Yes. So I want to talk about that. Yeah. So um, I went to a networking event before and I was um, I was hired on to shoot video. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, shooting video, walking around, you know, high, high net, net worth, networking event. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I was trying to network with people. They see me yeah. with the camera. I was like, uh -huh. oh, you're, are you a photographer? Right. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, yes. And then, but then I, I was trying to introduce myself with my business uh -huh. and all these other things that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, you know, I, I help in nonprofits. I'm, you know, I'm doing tax. And they're like, mm -hmm. they're like. Oh, so um, why why are you shooting the camera then? And mm -hmm. I'm like, well, no, this is my passion. I, I yeah. came here because I you know, I want to help shoot, right. but that that's not necessarily my identity, right. you know. And I also, for example, um, like the comedian, um, I think Kim Jong, mm -hmm. right? He's a comedian, yeah. but he's also a doctor. Yeah, he is. So you don't know that. You can't just judge people by what one particular activity that yeah. you're doing because you never know that you're meeting a lawyer, an engineer, mm -hmm. and people have all these different creative outlets that they want to do. And mm -hmm. I also feel like having that creative outlet is way more powerful for you mm -hmm. when you're in a different industry because mm -hmm. then you can think with the other side of your brain. Exactly. You're less analytical. Right. So it kind of gives you a chance to be more well-rounded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's... and that, but. 
just to kind of bring things back home, part of the reason why we're even talking about this is that people have multiple areas of their lives. Mm, yes. And so that's the same thing in therapy. I don't want you to just feel like I can only come to therapy to talk about things that are bad or negative. Uh, you, I can only go in there when I'm sad or depressed. That's not the only reason to go to therapy. If you, for example, just find yourself not being able to communicate very well, you have a difficult time saying things without offending people, that's a reason to go to therapy. If you find that, hey, I just want to be able to kind of be manage my stress a little bit better. In general, I'm okay. I don't have these days of extreme depression or anxiety, but I just want to learn how to do this a little bit better. You don't want to just kind of be pigeonholed into this is the only reason for this. Mm -hmm. Same way you don't want to be seen as this is my entire identity because this is what I do. Yeah. yeah. I want to touch on something you said. Um, um, being able to manage or talk to people or, mm -hmm. for example, um, I, I read something for you. You said that um, quitting is also for winners mm -hmm. or, or basically saying saying no or, 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 or giving up. In this, a sense. Dude, this dude's been doing his research on my page. Hey, you know, I, I, I do, I, I like I do what I do. <laughs> but, but, and I loved it because, for example, in businesses, we always have an exit strategy, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. So we, we know that, hey, at some point, mm -hmm. if things are so bad, it's okay mm -hmm. just, just, just stop. Mm -hmm. It's okay to exit. It's okay, it's okay to quit from a job if it's not for you. Exactly, right? exactly. But then in the same light, when we, but we only think about this when we're working or mm -hmm. in business, but mm -hmm. as a person, as a human, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's hard. It's, we feel like it's hard to say no to our loved ones on something because we might hurt them. Right. Or it's hard to quit on something on a particular project because someone's going to be hurt in, in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Well, even the term quit by itself has a negative connotation. When we use that word, it means I gave up. Mm -hmm. So that's what people see it as. But when we talk about life, there's no honor badge for suffering the most. Mm -hmm. There's no yes. there's no honor badge for getting beat up for your entire life in a relationship and staying and toughing that out. But you see people see it that way. It's, there's, there, is a, there is a positive, true knowledge of self and power that comes from knowing when I can walk away from a situation. And I think if people reframe quitting as I'm choosing to walk away from this for whatever the benefit is, then it won't feel like they've lost. You've actually won. And in life, I have a really good friend that always says this, there's no losing. It's either you win or you learn. And so part of being able to walk away is showing that you've learned something, that this is not a situation that benefits me. And so I'm going to walk away from it and find something that does versus I'm going to keep beating my head against this wall until I eventually break it. You're going to break your skull before you break the wall. Right. That's funny. From a business term, I just call that opportunity cost, right? So if I'm not going to keep spending my time or money doing this particular activity, when mm -hmm. if I stop doing this and pour my time, effort, money, and energy into mm -hmm. something else, mm -hmm. I become either a better person, mm -hmm. then that should be the decision that you have to make. But then, for example, we're in relationships all the time mm -hmm. with, you know, people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's hard to break away from that friend mm -hmm. or that relationship because yeah. we feel in our head that we spent so much time mm -hmm. in with this person mm -hmm. that I can't possibly leave yeah. now. But you are not obligated to stay with any person, whether you took vows, whatever the case is, you are not obligated to maintain these relationships. But if it's something that you want to maintain, you want to make sure that it's a healthy relationship that you are maintaining. A lot of people get this idea, for example, I'm obligated to stay with this person I started dating because they like me. Okay, well.
that's not a reason to stay. Is it a good beneficial relationship for you? Does Do you feel good when you spend time with this person or do you feel like your boundaries are constantly being stepped on and you went from being this whole complete happy person to being this nothing because that person's entire life has been the priority? If that's how it feels when you're around them, that's probably not a situation to keep. It would be the same with anything, a job, and a lot of people have, you know, you, you've probably seen this work in the HR. People are switching from one career type to another. Mm -hmm. They're making these type of decisions all the time in that aspect if they're self-aware enough to do so. So therapy will help you actually be more self-aware to recognize when something that you're doing is healthy and when it's not healthy. And not everybody can do that. So right now, I believe that Mindfully Black, mm -hmm. everything we discussed mm -hmm. is what you are helping the community address today, exactly. correct? Exactly, from an information perspective. So, you know, mental health care is not free. So I'm not providing you therapy necessarily. What I'm doing is giving you information to help you decide if therapy is something you can benefit from. So Mindfully Black gives you access to free information that can hopefully be the catalyst to get you to therapy, but it's not therapy. There's no substitute for that. You need to sit down with a person face to face to really be vulnerable, to express yourself and to find what you actually need help with. Mindfully Black is just the information or a holding space for that as the kind of stepping stone to get you into therapy. I offer coaching services through it, but I haven't been doing that as much actively just because from a time perspective, I haven't had as much time um, to do it. But I'm doing therapy already on a daily <laughs> basis, so doing more is a lot. <laughs> Look, all I know is I was scanning his page for a few hours. Uh -huh. And I kept turning to my grandma like, oh my God, this quote is so amazing. <laughs> I'm like, I need to implement this in my life like right now. But the thing Some was, I would, but the problem is there's a barrier to just look for information or know that it's there. Mm -hmm. If, you know, um, have you seen that Netflix documentary where they're talking about the thing that you Google, that's, they're, they're going to feed you what you uh, want to, yeah. what you want to see, right? What you're searching for. I'm just searching for. Yeah. So, if you never, like for example, back at the beginning of this podcast, if you never think that there's something wrong with your mental state or mm -hmm. things need to change with your habits or anything, mm -hmm. you're not searching for that. So you're, it's, it'll never ever get brought up. Right. right? Well, right. Because you might be going, how do I, how can I be less sad? But that's because you may not understand what the things are that's causing you to be sad. So you might find information that points out, OK, well, you know, call a friend. And those are good coping skills. But sometimes you need to know what's the root cause. What is it about my mentality or my thinking process that's making me feel sad on a daily basis? If I interpret everything from a negative lens, today is not good. Tomorrow's not going to be good. I can't trust people. All these things are thoughts that you're having that are keeping you depressed. So going out and running every day is not going to fix that. What is going to fix that is identifying the pattern of thinking and changing that and having somebody instill in you a healthier voice. That voice that we hear in our head comes from whether it's from our parents, whether it's just stuff that we've learned through experience, that life is bad and hard. And that's what keeps people down. So therapy helps them kind of recognize this is actually what's causing the problem that you need to address. It's not all these surface level things that you're doing. The amount of money you make, the car you drive, the person you're with, none of those and the core are going to fix that. It's other stuff that you need to be working on. Man, I feel like just right now, I have my own small, very small therapy <laughs> session talking to you about everything we just did. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I need to have you back on again. Well, you know, I'm always willing to do it. This, 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 this was an amazing time. And I had so many questions here. I didn't even like touch. Like, <laughs> I, I asked like two questions on my list and you just basically ran, ran right through them. Um, Guys, this was great. You just seen the video that 
prior to this podcast, you saw the video that we shot cinematically. This man right here is also a creative. He shoots. I try to be. I try. He shoots photography and films and all that stuff. He's just as good as I am, I believe, because <laughs> we were just geeking out earlier about, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. about the creative space. Even as I'm sitting here looking at all these different cameras pointing at me and knowing what type of lens it is and what type of monitor you're using, I was, yeah, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> it's great. Before we, we get, we're done with this podcast, I want to go back on um, your thoughts of being the actor mm. and switching the mm -hmm. rules from, from, and filming. Well, I think it would be different if, uh, if it was something that I don't normally do on a daily basis, but it felt natural because you were shooting me do something that I would actually be doing. And I feel like it might be a little more difficult if I was like, for example, trying to pretend to be a firefighter or something that I have no experience with. But it kind of just felt like me being me, um, but being in front of the camera. So it's a little different and, and giving up that control. And I, let me, I hope he exposed this correctly so that my face is not blown <laughs> out. You know, I don't have to think about that. Like I, now I just can actually be focused on That's that mental, what I'm doing. That yeah. mental difference, right? Yeah. Because you wanted to... You want to probably control or mm -hmm. see the output mm -hmm. and see it as it's happening. Yep. But then it's like that learning where you're like, you know what? I'm just going to just let out my control and be vulnerable mm -hmm. for a second mm -hmm. in this shoot. And challenge accepted, we're going to have you be a fireman at some point. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> I'm down. Yeah, but I, I, giving up control is something that people struggle to do anyway. And, and I personally have always struggled with that in life because I feel like I try to control so many different things that I had to learn that growing up. I had to like, as I became a professional, start realizing, oh man, like self, self uh, control was like one of my biggest things. And so being able to, to do that, have opportunity to do it, I think was even beneficial for me and therapeutic in that way. To not look at every shot that you shot and go, mm, do I like this shot? Do I not? But trusting you to be able to help me to, to bring this vision to life. So. Perfect. Well, I'm glad that I could have been your therapist in a sense, just for a second. We have my dog yeah, um, barking here. It's all good. Here. It's, it's, it's real life here. Real life. But Gregory, Greg, G, G. thank you of course. for being on the podcast today. Very welcome. Guys, this is the Cash Camera Action Podcast where we bring all walks of life to business here. My slogan here is business is like a movie. Remember, if you have any problems in your everyday life. You need to address it head on. Head on. Head on. Don't let it fester up inside and don't let it explode later down the line. We're talking about interpersonal relationships with mm -hmm. your family, friends, mm -hmm. your relationships, with your boss, with your 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 employees, employers, all of that. Mm -hmm. You need to address it head on. Tell them how you really feel mm -hmm. today, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. On my page, you'll see that I say that knowing how you feel is a strength. Being aware of your emotions is a strength. There's no weakness in knowing, hey, I'm, I'm reaching my limits right now. We got we to gotta reframe the way we think about that stuff. In fact, the healthiest people are the people that recognize when they are being unhealthy. All right, everyone, I need you to follow. G, can you tell everyone your, your handles and everything? Sure, sure. The Instagram for mental health is mindfully underscore black. Um, and so you, that's where you'll find a lot of this information to some of the things that uh, Christian and I were talking about today. Um, my video one, if you're interested in that, is uh, vids, V-I-D-Z, by G. Perfect. All right, this is the Cash Camera Action Podcast. We will see you guys next time. Yes, sir. Peace.